fun. Hello and welcome back. This is Roger Royce, host of the 10,000 Startups Podcast, Legal Strategies for Startup Success, where every week we give you new original content from a subject matter expert on an area of the law that's relevant to startups, and in this case, a little more broadly to closely held companies. Because this week, we're going to be talking about ESOPs, Employee Stock Ownership Plans, now, out in startup company land, when people hear the word ESOP, they think stock option plan. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something different, an actual creature creature of statute, uh, an employee stock option plan. Uh, they've been around for a long time. They work much differently, uh, and it's something that not everybody knows about, but they probably should. So this week, we have to talk with us about it. Jared Hanley, he's a principal at Brereton Hanley and Company. They're a private investment banking firm that specializes in this area, and they have a presence here in the Silicon Valley and in the Northwest. So, Jared, thanks for being here. And maybe we could kick off by just what's an ESOP? <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, Roger. Yeah, an ESOP is kind of an, an interesting um, tool of corporate finance because um, it is at once a retirement plan. So an ESOP is a risk qualified retirement plan, but it's also a trust. And the beneficiary of that trust are the employees of the quote unquote sponsor company. And so what an ESOP can allow um, any company to do is essentially form an employee ownership base by contributing stock or selling stock into that trust. Again, of the, the employees are the beneficiary of. And so over time, um, employees vest into that um, beneficial ownership. And then when they exit, they receive the, the value of the stock and that trust as part of their retirement. And so it's a great um, succession planning tool. Um, it's a great um, you know culture building tool. Um, it's used for many different purposes. Well, let me make sure I got this right. The way that transactions would work, there's, we got the company here, we got the employees, and we got the trust over here. Mm -hmm. And um, company is somehow the trust is going to get money. We'll say and it's going to use that money to buy stock from the company, right? And well, it's gonna... from the existing owners, which is a separate legal entity than the company. Yes, from the founders, it's going to buy yeah. so they get liquidity because the founders mm -hmm. now sell their stock to the trust, and the trust is going to hold that stock for the benefit of the employees as a retirement plan. Is that right? Yep, exactly. That's exactly how it works. And so the, the the ESOP is is the new shareholder, if you will, because the the trust now owns those shares of the company and enjoys you know the benefits of being an owner. Um, what's yeah. unique about it is that it's it as I mentioned also an ERISA qualified retirement plan, meaning that contributions into that trust, whether in the form of cash or stock, act as tax deductions. Also. If that entity owns stock of a pastor entity, like an S-Corp, uh, the trust doesn't pay taxes. And so if you had a 100% ESOP-owned entity and you are a pastor entity like an S-Corp, all taxes go away completely. And that's really what drives ESOPs is the ability to shield all of the earnings of the corporation. And those tax savings first create liquidity to pay off the existing ownership group. For their shares but then after that to build this wealth for the benefit of all the employees yeah let, let me back up just a little bit i want to make sure we got all the pieces of structure in place 
The trust has bought shares from the owners and now it holds them in trust for the employees. Where does the trust get the money to fund that purchase? Yeah, so there's a bunch of different ways that trust can secure the financing. Um, it can go out and find a, a bank to provide capital. Um, obviously, that debt is secured by the assets and cash flow of the sponsoring company, but it's on behalf of the trust. Uh, you can do what's called, you can have seller financing. So the existing sh shareholder says, okay, I'm willing to trade some of my stock for a seller note, right? And then the, mm -hmm. then the seller gets paid out of the future tax savings and cash flow of the company. And that would be dividends, right? Wouldn't that be dividends from the company? As well, yep. And the dividends are not taxable to the trust, are they? Because it's an ERISA plan. Correct. Wow, what a deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then also, if the company has excess cash that can be contributed tax deductively into the trust, or they can do what's called pre-funding. So on any given year, rather than paying taxes, they'll contribute cash down into that trust to accumulate a pile of, of, of cash. And then and the turn company around gets three, a deduction for that, right? They get a deduction, right. And then three or four years later, after they've accumulated enough cash in the trust, that can all flow out to the existing shareholders to buy their stock. So again, the whole transaction is is driven by these tax savings and not just the corporate tax savings. What's unique about ESOPs is if you are selling your shares to an ESOP, you can also avoid paying your personal capital gains tax on the sale of your stock to the ESOP. Let's talk about how that works. Does that require a rollover or something? Yeah, it's a lot like a 1031 transaction that most people are familiar with real estate. It's called a 1042 transaction. So it's just a little further down in the tax code. But if you buy a replacement property, just like in real estate, you'd buy a replacement piece of real estate, a new house or a new building. If you buy a replacement property, which in the case of selling your, your shares of this private entity is buying another stock or bond of a U.S. company, you can defer the capital gains tax on the sale of the stock of, of your company. And if you defer it until your death, there's a step up in basis for your heirs and the capital gains tax is avoided forever. So you essentially would buy a portfolio of other stocks and bonds to qualify as that replacement property to defer or potentially eliminate the capital gains tax on your sale. Wow. So let me kind of summarize. So first of all, um, the shares, number one, your founders, they get liquidity. They can sell their stock. They can convert their closely held company stock into cash roll that over into a portfolio, a diversified portfolio of public securities and pay no tax on that transaction. So that is, is huge. Is and they get, well, they get paid fair market value, right? So when you sell to a, an ESOP, there's an appraisal done and the negotiation done, you sell at fair market value. And so if you look at the transaction on an after-tax basis, the ability to avoid the capital gains tax usually means that an ESOP can deliver more after-tax uh, proceeds to the selling shareholders. Yeah, that's where I was going with with this. And then at the company level, they're going to get this deduction for amounts they pay to the trust to help it pay off the loan that it owes to the bank or, or mm -hmm. whoever, the shareholder. Um, the trust itself is exempt from tax, so it's not going to pay any tax on any of these dividends. And if it's an S-corp, as you said, uh, company, then uh, the earnings of the S-Corp flow through to the trust, which is tax exempt. So that operating income escapes tax as well. So I can see there's just a huge, huge benefit in this. Yeah, all taxes go away forever for the entity. 
meaning the, the operating company's earnings. And then again, there's this second benefit that the selling shareholders can take advantage of, which is avoiding capital gains tax, personal capital gains tax on the sale of their stock. Yeah. So who is this ideally suited for? What's your typical client look like that does this? Yeah. So you have to be large enough for this to make sense, which usually means at least, you know, a dozen employees or so. You want more than a million dollars of of annual cash flow uh, just to be big enough for this to work. Um, where these really make a ton of sense is, is larger employee bases and companies that, um, you know, where the employees are really a driving factor of the success. If it's an IP company or a tech company where a ton of the earnings is, is based around IP and not, you know, the employee base, it won't have as much of an impact. It's not the best fit. Um, so more old economy businesses tend to make more sense for these. Um, you also, you know, you're selling at fair market value. So if there's a real strategic premium that, you know, a tech company can secure, that you won't see in construction, manufacturing, services, businesses, more old economy businesses where that strategic premium might be lost if you're just doing an appraisal. And so that's typically where we see these really, really work well, uh, more old economy businesses. But that that there are exceptions. There's plenty of tech companies, software companies who have done this quite successfully as well. It's just a little less common. Got you. Um, so a services business, for example, would this be a good fit? For sure. Yeah, definitely. Any business where, um, I, I mean, A, you want to, the employee base wants to have this culture of ownership and they really drive the success of the business. Mm-hmm. Just from a, a cultural and strategic reason, it makes a lot of sense to have them be owners as well as, you know, retained. Uh, this is a great retention. You know, people want they're vesting into this, this ownership and they don't want to leave because they want to drive the value of the company, which they now own. And so from a cultural perspective, those types of businesses really see ESOPs as a better fit. Right. Because at the end, when the employer retires, they get their shares or the cash value of their shares, right? Exactly. They get cashed out. Cashed out. So yeah. they they participate in the upside. Um who votes the shares during the time that the trust owns them? Yeah, so there's a trustee of the trust, which could be an individual or it could be a committee, but it's not the employees. I mean, that's a distinction. The employees actually aren't real shareholders. There's beneficiaries of shares allocated to them in the trust, so they're not voting. Uh, the trustee is the person that that you know votes the shares, um, and then the board hires and fires the trustee. So the board of the company decides who is the trustee, and the mm-hmm. trustee votes the shares. It's pretty rare that the trustees is actually involved in, you know, voting those shares for any purpose other than appointing the board members. In the case of selling an ESOP owned company, then the trustee would obviously become involved. Mm -hmm. But from an operational perspective, really, the trustee just provides kind of, um, you know, oversight. They're really like a, they're not a silent shareholder, but they're just a passive shareholder and the board is still running the company. So the governance of the company remains largely the same post-closing. Management's often the same. Um, there's really uh, very little disruption in day-to-day operations for most companies once they go into an ESOP. Gotcha. Now, would the founding shareholders, is there some minimum amount of shares or maximum amount? I mean, what do you typically see? Do they sell everything, half? Yeah. Uh, so the Nirvana in ESOP land is to be 100% ESOP-owned S-Corp mm-hmm. as, because that means all of the earnings are just automatically shielded. Uh, so we do see that scenario very often. 
um, to uh, to defer the capital gains tax on the sale of your stock to the ESOP, you have to sell a minimum of 30%. So this will either see like a 30% sale or 100% sale. Those are the two most common transactions. Gotcha. Okay. Um, all right. So let's look at the other side. And we've talked about who this is for. Who would this not be for? What are the disadvantages? Why doesn't everybody do this? You know. Um, well, you know, there are companies where if you take it to market, a certain strategic buyers can pay a real premium, which a financial buyer and an ESOP is a financial buyer simply can't pay. Yeah. And so you may be leaving, you know, some of that premium on the table selling to an ESOP. And you just don't know until you go out and you run a competitive process to determine whether the ESOP is the best bidder to buy your company. And so, you know, again, like in certain niches or technology sectors where someone has to have your company, they'll pay a lot more than fair market value because they have strategic reasons to do it. ESOP could never do that. They just, the ESOP can pay fair market value, but it can't pay above. So in that scenario, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, I got you. And then there is an administrative um, aspect to this. So if, if you're a smaller company that doesn't have awesome financial controls, you know, an ESOP is going to require appraisals. Um, it's going to require more scrutiny on your record keeping. Uh, you know, you're you're definitely going to need reviewed financials, if not audited. Um, so it does require just kind of more administrative work for companies that have to upgrade to that level. Many are already at that point, so it doesn't make any difference. But some smaller companies just don't have those financial controls in place. So it creates a disruption. Yeah, for sure. I've, I've run into that because now you're, you know, you got to view the Department of Labor as your partner and you want to make sure everything's right. Yeah. And a lot of times the startups, they tend to be a little lax on formalities, even clo or closely held companies generally. So they have to impose some discipline that they might not have had before. And and you also mentioned another thing, the appraisal, you know, that's mm -hmm. so there's a lot of protections in place for the employees is, is, is for everybody, really. Sure. Um, so what's the market been like lately for this? I'm just wondering in this high interest rate environment, if this is a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> ESOP's actually been uh, growing in popularity over the last few years. Uh, the high interest rates that we're now experiencing what it does is it limits your ability to secure external financing for the transaction at close, which means for the selling shareholders, it's just less cash at close and probably more seller debt that they're going to take back. I see. Which is a mixed bag. Um, obviously, people love cash at close, but the seller debt can provide a market rate. So if market rates for you know, external debt is nine, ten percent, or if it's subordinated debt, you know, ten to fifteen percent, a seller can charge that same rate for their seller financing. And so basically they are getting a great return on their seller note, even though they have to wait to get paid. Gotcha. And I think there's some benefit to the bank as well. There used to be at one time. Yep. There are certain incentives. I mean, um, you know, governments of all kinds, local and federal, want to support ESOP. I mean, it just basically creates a whole new suite of capitalists and shareholders that historically didn't have access to ownership of, of these entities. So you will see things for, you know, like public public projects where ESOP seem to get a preference. Yeah. And I guess if, if you're in um, sort of an M&A market where 
I hadn't thought about the interest rates affecting the terms of loan. That's the obvious case, right? The seller is getting a little mm-hmm. higher return. It's a little more expensive um, for the company, uh, but it still might work. I was thinking more about, I have a lot of baby boomer clients, and as they get to retirement age, once they're ready to sell, they're ready to sell right now. And maybe the market's not there for them. Maybe the company yeah. Higher is not there. They're not offering them what they could have gotten two years ago. Uh, and this is an option where they can get liquidity, but at the same time, protect the rights of their employees and give the employees a reason to stick around. Yep. I mean, they are literally gifting the ownership of the company to their employees. The employees don't pay for the ownership. It's gifted to them by virtue of them continuing to work. That's one of the kind of um you know, false perceptions that people have that the employees have to pay to you know buy out the company, but that's not at all the case. Yeah, the, it's not the, an the way it works is the government's paying for it by eliminating all taxes, right? So um, the employees pay nothing; they just vest into this ownership by remaining, keep doing what they're doing, essentially. Yeah, and and of course these have been around for a long time, so it's well established. It's nothing novel or risky. Yeah knew about it that's a creature of statute right way over 50 years i think yeah i think they started like in the 70s <laughs> so, yeah, and, and there it's a sizable i mean there's probably ten thousand esops across the u.s it's a very meaningful portion of the private sector companies yeah. ever everything from you know as i mentioned a dozen employees all the way up to you know giant corporations with tens of thousands of employees you know i've heard of people using these in conjunction with the charitable trust uh, for, for some of the similar reasons, but that's that's very, very sophisticated planning there. But it leverages the thing that you were just talking about, the exemption from tax, whereas you're still giving the employees the benefit of the tax-free growth in the company. Um, so what's the future look like, do you think, for ESOPs? I mean, you've been doing this a long time. Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? <laughs> I'd say it is getting better. I think one thing that's likely to happen is tax rates are going to go up. Um, you know, if you look historically at tax rates over the last 50 years, we're actually in a still very favorable tax environment. So if it just regressed back to the mean, taxes are going to go up. And given that this is a, a tax-driven transaction, basically, the, what pays for it all is the elimination of taxes. The higher the taxes get, the more attractive ESOPs become. And so while I, while I don't think anyone knows what's, what taxes are going to be like in one, two, three, five years, you would expect them to slightly regress back towards the historical mean, which would mean ESOPs are a, a better and better deal, both for the selling shareholder and for the company really to operate under. Well, yeah, for sure, because uh, S-Corps pastors are going to be paying a higher rate uh, going forward. Um, I think there are some expiring credits. So, and the higher the rate is on operating income, the the bigger the advantage of being able to avoid tax on operating income. Yeah. Uh, so it's not just on the gains uh, at the shareholder level, but also just the growth of the company. Yeah, and I don't see ESOPs going anywhere. I mean, I'm not a uber political person, but it seems to be a really like well liked structure among all political bands. So. I really don't see any reason why Congress would disallow kind of the tax advantages that they're enjoying right now. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because sometimes, you know, the, you know, Congress gives and the IRS takes away, but it sounds like this is one that it's not really in the crosshairs of the IRS where they're doing everything they can to try to, you know, try to find where you've slipped up. (laughs) Right. 
You right. Know, yeah, that, that's a good part because there are other benefits. And now, is this true at the state tax level too? Is yes. That, oh, yes. it is. Yeah. So, so, our, so our parties get the same benefit for state tax purposes. Well, it sounds like a great idea, you know, and um, I'm glad to see that you're still doing them and that this product is out there. And hopefully we can do more of them. Uh, any closing words of advice you would give to our business owners out there who are contemplating this? Yeah, I mean, I just think they need to educate themselves a little bit. Uh, about this alternative, because I think many business owners just are unaware of it. And when they do the math, particularly on the tax savings, they'll realize that an ESOP can deliver more after tax money in their pocket while, you know, just providing this amazing benefit to their employee base. So it's, I think when people kind of, it's a confusing deal. I mean, it is a complicated structure, but once people get their head around it, they realize this is often a very better, a better alternative to, to selling out. And so we just feel like, you know, education is kind of our, our priority for most people. And then they can weigh the pros and cons of this versus alternative transaction types. All right. Sounds great. So, Jared, if people want to hear more about this, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah. Uh, well, Jared Hanley, you can go to our website, BrereronHanley.com. Um, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn or Jared at BrereronHanley.com. I'm always happy to just provide kind of a quick confidential um consult section on whether NISOP might be a fit. Okay. And I'll put your contact in the show notes. Perfect. So people will have it. Okay. I want to thank you for being here today to explain ESOPs to us. You know, and um this is Roger Royce with 10,000 Startups, Legal Strategies for Startup Success. We've been talking with Jared Hanley today from Brereton about the use of the ESOP tax favored product for not only succession, but also for motivating employees. So thanks a lot, Jared, and uh, everyone else. We'll see you all next time.